Welcome back to Inside Asia. I'm your host, Steve Stein. Purpose as a business operating principle has been elevated as a key priority for hundreds, if not thousands, of organizations worldwide. The idea that all stakeholders are important and not just shareholders is a new, novel, and some say notorious concept. Convincing people within an organization to change the way they think, plan, and work is no easy task. Even so, that's what purpose-driven organizations are trying to do, lifting their game in order to better serve people and planet. But what happens if executives tasked with developing and delivering corporate purpose are experiencing their own existential crisis? Many have built careers by towing the party line, delivering results, and mastering corporate politics. Achieving career goals carries some satisfaction, no doubt. But you have to ask, to what end? For those of you who've been in the game for a while, chances are you've made your company richer, more efficient, and even better liked. That's great, but how do you feel, you know, personally? Tired, said one senior executive who I recently spoke with. It was hard enough to keep everyone happy before COVID. Now it's even harder, he told me. Burnout, it seems, is an increasing casualty of the modern workplace. The additional layer of stress and uncertainty that's been introduced by the pandemic only makes staying focused and productive that much harder. The thing that's been sacrificed is personal peace of mind, influenced by a waning sense of purpose. It's not true for everyone. Healthcare workers saving lives on the front line is one clear exception. But in the traditional workplace, the big questions, as in, what's it all about, are coming fast and furious. My guest this episode, Todd Miller, is someone who's reflected on the challenges of modern corporate life. He knows firsthand that failure to address the yearnings of the soul, if not taken seriously, can impede on your outlook on life, curtail job satisfaction, and leave you searching for answers in faraway places. Here's my conversation with Todd. But first, my thanks to our sponsor, Quilt AI, a mission-first technology company that helps large organizations use the internet more purposefully. It's looking to reverse fractures in society and generate empathy while helping organizations understand their consumers and beneficiaries much better. Quilt works with amazing organizations, including Amazon, Twitter, the Gates Foundation, and the World Bank. But what got my attention is their pro bono work in gender equity and climate action, giving time and money to causes they care about and in service to the planet. Inside Asia is pleased to be associated with Quilt AI. For more information, do check them out at quilt.ai. I've known you as an executive search guy and basically looking to identify you for executive and, and leadership roles. And it's so fascinating that your book, Enrich, which came out uh, recently, is really talking about some of the struggles of what it is to work within a corporation these days and some of the things that we give up in doing so. W what's behind the soul-sucking sound that's led so many executives worldwide to hate their jobs and miss their lives? Big question um, and a relevant one. And many professionals often face this tug of war between competing priorities, work or family, time or money, happiness or success. And we're often so busy climbing the ladder that many times we don't even recognize that it leans against the wrong, the wrong wall. And we spend a lot of time thinking about how to build our careers, but not nearly enough time 
thinking about how to build meaningful lives. And that's all because we become entrapped in what I refer to as the default setting. And think about it. We embark upon our careers in our 20s, and we hope, if we're lucky, to exit those careers some 40 years later, and then we're free to do what we wish that we could have done all along. And how crazy is that? Yet that is the default setting for which most professionals around the world operate. And we get stuck in this default setting at the earliest ages because educational systems are geared to prepare us to lead meaningful, productive, successful careers. But the question is how to lead a meaningful life. And well, they don't teach that in school. And so we end up having to wing it. And as, as part of my research in this book, I identified three underlying core issues which professionals encounter as we try to wing it through life. And these issues significantly diminish life satisfaction. The first issue is financial insecurity because many professionals equate income security with job security. But in 2021, there is no job security. And the second issue is time poverty. Ernst and Young did a global study and they identified insufficient time among four of the five biggest hurdles that professionals face. And then the third core challenge that kind of sucks the soul out of life is the perpetual disconnect between personal priorities and somehow how we spend our days as professionals just doesn't add up to what matters most. And there's this demoralizing gap between how we wish that we could spend our time and how we actually spend that time. And so really to, to answer your question, it involves hacking not at the branches, but at the roots to get to the problem. And I think that these core issues of financial insecurity, time poverty, and the disconnect with priorities, you know, this creates a lot of that discontentment in modern professional life. You know, Todd, is this just a curse of living a modern life? In other words, you know, we've made trade-offs for greater levels of comfort, uh, financial security, uh, the things that we covet or, or have been told we should covet. Has this always been the case or is this a recent phenomena in your opinion? Well, uh, you know, work-life balance is a modern construct. Our parents and certainly our grandparents didn't necessarily have work-life balance in the vocabulary because there was never an imbalance. And so it is a modern construct and that's due to a lot of reasons, but, but a lot of it, you know, if you think back 30 or 40 years that 
there was always this demarcation between work and home. And when my grandfather left his executive job for the day or for the weekend, that was it. You know, there was no round-the-clock communication. Um, there were no weekend conference calls. And technology has changed all that. And unfortunately, our habits haven't adapted as quickly as the technology have. And I believe that, uh, that technology actually creates not all, but some of the kind of imbalances that make juggling work and life uh, such an ordeal for so many people. You know, it's kind of a conversation around privilege, too, though, isn't it, Todd? I mean, my grandfather was a farmer. He was up at 3.34 yeah. in the morning to milk the cows, and then he didn't go to bed till 9 o'clock and get up and do it again. So there was no work-life balance for him. Now, he was perfectly content, I think, in that life because it's the only thing he knew. Um, but, but you know, I, I guess it just depends on where you were. I mean, obviously, we've all seen the Mad Men series and, you know, having yes. the martini, three martini yeah. lunches and, and, you know, naps on the couch. Well, I, I don't know how much that's Hollywoodized or how much that was real. Maybe it was just Madison Avenue. But, you know, there were segments of the population that kind of figured that out. But then there were large segments that didn't. Obviously, the factory workers, turn of the century, industrial revolution time. So I, I, it, it feels to me like it's a little bit like, you know, we've arrived here and almost like that frog in the boiling water, we've wake, we've woken up to the fact that we have we have no balance. I mean, we technology has owned our lives. Corporations yeah. have owned us. You know, this idea of giving in, and I noticed this, and we talked about this, that promotion, right? The one that, you know, well, we're not necessarily yeah. sort of going to give you more money, but we're definitely going to give you more responsibility, and doesn't that right. feel good? I mean, I can't tell you. Right, exactly. How many yeah. conversations have we had with people, all, you know, in, in this part of the world where yeah. it's just one more piece now of course then comes covid and hey we're going to give you another promotion because we're firing half of the organization uh and and that's good for you too right so i i think somehow we we bought into this and i think we're culpable to some degree but then the question comes is where and how do you push back reasonably particularly if you want to stay within a company so there's two questions here one is to remain within a corporation how do you kind of restore some joy to your life and if you want to leave corporations what does that entail so let's take them at one at a time staying within a sure. corporation right what did you do what what was some of the, your your kind of memes along the way that allowed you to survive a very high pressured you know leadership role in asia for all those years yeah so look i, I spent the majority of my career working for a hollywood studio and that is a glimpse into, you know, the insanity of the business world, you know, in all its glory and craziness. Um, and I actually developed a lot of systems for me to stay grounded and sane. But I will talk about perhaps one of the most controversial statements that I make in the book. And I say controversial only because it's not well understood. And from the earliest days, I have always not focused on the money in making career decisions. And the one or two instances 
in which I actually did allow money to influence my career decisions, I very much regretted those decisions. And I know that is counterintuitive. And many people are saying, you know, thinking to themselves, probably this guy is crazy. But hear me out on this. The reason why we should not focus on the money is because it's important to, to shift the orientation away from extrinsic rewards, such as money and status, and toward intrinsic rewards, which is that warm and fuzzy feeling of doing something that is meaningful. And so to improve professional satisfaction, you know, focus on job content, focus on the impact of your work, focus on the, the value add that you deliver to the organization, focus on your personal growth and skill development, as well as the intangible benefits of your work, such as the intellectual stimulation and the social interactions. You know, by, by spotlighting the opportunity rather than the reward, that's how you gain to improve professional satisfaction. And considering that most professionals will spend at least a third of their lives working, and perhaps considerably more if you're a high achiever, it's really important to get professional satisfaction right. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story, and I'll go back and most... Uh, more than 25 years with this story, but I started incubating these enriched ideas in my final semester at Columbia Business School. And I was flabbergasted at how brilliant people, as many of my classmates are, seem to make foolishly short-term career decisions based on the size of their signing bonuses. And I thought, can we really be bought so easily? You know, can, and that's when, uh, yes, yes. And that, and that surprises me. Yes. And that, you know, and that surprises me. And five or six or seven companies later, you know, um, those same people realized, well, maybe we should be looking at other factors when making career decisions. But, you know, that's when I realized that if you really want to uh, give yourself the best chance to be satisfied professionally, to focus on the opportunity and not just on the compensation. And if you want to go a little bit deeper into this, um, you know, Reich, the work platform, they actually did a deep dive into the disparity between happy and unhappy employees. And while there have been many studies of workplace satisfaction, Reich dug much more deeply and they wanted to identify what motivates happy employees and what motivates unhappy employees. Happy employees, it turns out, they value meaningful work and flexibility the most. Whereas guess what unhappy employees prioritize the most? Compensation. And there, and there is the rub. And that's there despite that's despite the kind of how high up you are in the organization, your executive and mid level rank. It doesn't matter across the board. That would be the the criteria. Absolutely. And so, 
you know, throughout my career, I always made career decisions based on, you know, how I could grow, what I could contribute, how I can learn, and whether I'm just personally interested and excited by a role, as opposed to how much I'm going to earn as a result of my service. How much, Todd, does it depend on the culture of the organization or the sector you're in? For instance, you know, I remember the enterprise software sector was like, hey, it's all about the money or financial services, those bonuses, right? And so therefore, you stacked yourself up against how you perform vis-a-vis your colleagues, and that gave you some jazz job satisfaction for a while. In other words, my question is, if you can't change individually the culture of an organization, does there come a point where you need to simply find an organization that best matches your cultural requirements? I mean, ab- absolutely. And while my particular background is in entertainment, what I've found is across industries, whether it's Wall Street or Silicon Valley, um, that a lot of these principles hold true. And by saying not focus on the money, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be paid what you're worth. And so if you're paid uh, by a large bonus, then absolutely, you should be entitled and for that bonus. But what should get you up in the morning isn't so much thinking, wow, I'm going to hit you know, a nice bonus as a result of this. It's like, what can I accomplish today? How can I make a difference? What can I contribute? That is the mindset difference. And it's, it's really about personal philosophy and how you engage in whatever work culture that exists. But what I'm talking about here is not a, is not a cultural thing. It's an individual mindset. If your boss says to you, Todd, I would like you to take on a new territory a new role, something that's higher, something's bigger. It's going to be a lot of work. It's global by nature, a lot of late night calls. Um, can you say no? Should you say no? Absolutely. And uh, yes. And if you say no, are, isn't that, again, with many organizations, a career limiting move? Or do you have the answer you need in order to go someplace that's going to appreciate you and that work-life balance that you so value? So the view I take is, If you're penalized for saying no, you probably shouldn't be investing your time in that organization to begin with. And this brings me back to the importance of financial security, which is why that the more secure and the faster you get that security, then the more enabled you become to be able to make those principled decisions. And that is why financial security really is foundational. Yeah, chick- chicken and the egg though, my friend, right? Here we go. So basically, yeah. go make that money fast. Back to that conversation. I'm going to base my success on my signing bonus, how quickly I can make the money, focus on the money, because then if I do it right, I'll have fun for the financial freedom, and then I'll be able to have the luxury of choosing you know, life-work balance, right? There's a bit of a challenge. Yes and no. I mean, again, we can talk about what it means to be financially secure and how to do that. And that's, a, again, that's, that's a big topic. But financial security isn't just about making more money. 
it actually invokes both sides of the money equation, including expenses. You know, and so I'm not really saying just go make more money so you can choose later to not make, make money. It's not that sim simplistic. But this is why understanding what's most important is, is so important. And I actually, uh, years ago, confronted a dilemma at work that many professionals confront. And I was given what, I, what appeared to me to be a binary choice between promotion or parenthood. And I really saw the choice as so binary. And I was offered a large promotion within the company. And that not only has greater responsibilities, but that would have required a relocation. And that relocation would have, uh, would have interrupted and compromised uh, my bigger desire, which is to become a parent. And so I actually chose parenthood over promotion. And I was quite explicit with the company about that. In the end, they were very accommodating and very gracious. And I not only got the promotion, but I also fulfilled my dream of becoming a, a parent. But I was willing to sacrifice that promotion because I knew that in the larger scheme of things, parenthood is much more important to me. But it doesn't sound like at the end of the day you sacrifice, you simply held to your principles, and by holding to your principles, you got both. Exactly. So in that case, it wasn't a sacrifice, but I was prepared to sacrifice. Okay, interesting. So it's almost a framework. It's kind of like the, how you a, yeah. a mindset. So how, how you approach and look at the world will then influence um, how you actually uh, are able to arrive at a, at a different decision that's going to give you the flexibility that you so crave and deserve. Yes. Yeah. All right. Interesting. All right. What do you say or what advice do you offer to um, those corporate executives who've run the gauntlet they're now arriving to their early mid-50s. They're saying to themselves, well, I've, I've financially succeeded, title I've succeeded, um, but I'm absolutely um, in, a, in, a, in a dark place because I don't know where I go from here. I'm 10 years off from retiring. Uh, I don't really know if I fulfilled any meaningful you know, uh, purpose in my life. And they have this moment, this kind of cathartic break <laughs> from, from you know, what it is to basically be an executive. What would you say to people like that? Let's go back to the core issues that I identified at the top of the conversation, because basically all the, all the limitations that you described in this hypothetical executive, all those issues re revolve around those limitations. And so my advice is address the limitations. If you're 10 years away from retiring, my advice is, well, accelerate it. Fast track financial security. Rather than taking 10 years, figure out how to do it in four or five. And that may mean, you know, really relooking at the parameters and the assumptions. But first and foremost, create optionality for yourself. Because the reason why financial security is so important is because it gives you optionality. 
so that you can live and work on your own terms. And when work becomes a choice and not an obligation, that changes everything about work and those miserable Monday mornings. And, and so, especially for someone in their 50s, I would strongly recommend that fast-tracking and prioritizing financial security should probably be the area of greater focus. And with a little bit of financial security, especially if you're at the apex of your career, then you can, then you can begin to be a bit more aggressive in experimenting with, with your work arrangements. And what I mean by that is you can begin to take money out of the equation, which means that you might make uh, to different career decisions. You can begin to focus on the job content and you can focus on the things that provide meaning as opposed to just the compensation. And perhaps you can try some innovative things such as, uh, such as having a sabbatical, which is a mini retirement. You know, I took two in my career and they are transformational and I would highly recommend that. And so by doing some of those things, I think there is a way for, for people to um, create more options in life as well as to derive more satisfaction from it. Right. It's, it's interesting to he, um, hear you talk about this. I, I, you know, for, for 35 years of my professional career, I pretty much reinvented myself every six years. And, and the only factor that's guided me personally in life is curiosity or the end of, of, of you know, a, a path. Intellectually, I'm no longer yeah. stimulated. I get bored and I leave. Or I, I want to do something else. Or I wanna, and, and that's just me. So uh, my point in bringing that up isn't that everyone should reinvent themselves every six years. And trust me, you shouldn't because it can be a painful process. Um, it's just my plight. But, but other people have other drivers. So I guess part of what you're saying is you need to really be in touch with what drives you. Like what is your core belief system? What are the kinds of uh, competencies and issues Issues and challenges you have uniquely, and then frame you know how you're going to live your life accordingly based on that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And all this that we're talking about it does require some heavy duty self awareness. You know that one has to be willing to ask the big questions and to give your to give yourself space and permission to do so. And that's why for me. It all begins with prioritization, because if you understand what's most important, then it's much easier to make decisions. And life, after all, is the aggregation of thousands of discrete decisions that we make. And the way to understand what's most important is to take a longer term view. Because we all get sucked into the moment. And, uh, and so don't think about what's important right now. Project about what's going to be important five years and 10 years from now. And by lengthening the time horizon, then that filters out many of the distractions and nuisances so that true priorities 
really begin to emerge. You, you know, you, you've you touched on something which is fascinating because, you know, many of these executives who you and I know, they are masterful in creating their own internal business plans, marketing plans, sales plans. Yet you ask them, do you have a life plan? And they look at you like, I don't even understand the question. <laughs> yet exactly. it's so fundamental, yeah. right? It's like it's, it just speaks to the fact that there is no work-life balance there because they haven't started to contemplate it. Oh, no, that's not what I do. I Or, or, or people define themselves by their jobs. There is no outside-the-job personality. It may be useful to really talk about maybe some of the experiences that I've had early in my time in the corporate world in terms of why I've been so attuned to these issues. And, you know, you mentioned identity, um, which is so important, that I, I actually had in my mid-20s two experiences which completely shaped my worldview about work. Um, the first is I was tasked with doing a strategically important high-profile deal uh, for a Hollywood studio, and the internal spotlight was on me. And as a result of that, I pushed too hard. And the deal almost blew up. And as a consequence of that, I fell apart. And so my lesson was, I have to figure out a way to stay grounded when things don't work out at work. Because as my career advances, the deals are only going to get bigger. And I need to figure out a way to keep work from polluting life. And then around the same time, I had another experience and I encountered a, uh, a lifer within the company. And this was a veteran who had given his entire life to this organization. And his identity, in fact, his purpose was all about the job and he didn't have anything else. And in his early 50s, he was informed that his services are no longer necessary. And not for performance reasons, but for cost reasons. And, you know, this poor guy was shaken to the core. And that shook me to the core in terms of empathizing with his situation. And I vowed never to associate my identity and my self-worth with my job, that what I want from life goes much beyond the professional. And ultimately, that's true for most professionals, that professional satisfaction is a part of the equation, but it's not the total equation. Mm. You know, uh, Todd, in, in some ways, in, in, you know, in, in stable times, I can see those choices being more apparent. But in a time of COVID, uh, we can expect to see more jobs lost, more financial distress at all levels than at any time since the Great Depression. Uh, people have two options, hunker down and get through it, if only to remain financially aloft, 
or second, um, plan your breakaway, enter the gig economy. Some argue there's never been a better time to do it. What's your advice and what's changed? Does anything, any advice that you met out in your book change as a result of the, the, the situation we're in today? No, I mean, I, 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 I mean, if anything, COVID makes enrich even more relevant and more needed. The reason is this, this pandemic has turned lives, lifestyles, livelihoods upside down without question. But it's also creating a clarifying opportunity, an opportunity to reset and recalibrate. And at a time when everyone everywhere is looking and reconsidering where they live, how they work, what they want out of life, I think that we have an opportunity to actually change our individual paradigms. And this truly is a clarifying opportunity. And as awful as the past year has been, I, you know, I, I, I do see an upside in creating a situation whereby we all have permission to ask the big questions and to reassess the fundamentals. And that's what I would encourage people to do. And I would do so really around, you know, around rigorously practicing intentionality. Because, you know, I think that the one big takeaway that I have from my research is I interviewed scores of high achievers from around the world. These are, without question, very successful executives. Different countries, different backgrounds. And invariably, almost every executive whom I interviewed defined success as control over their time. And, you know, so when we think about time and think about how we're deliberate with our time, I believe that the, the way to take control in a situation that is as fluid and uncertain as the present situation is to practice intentionality. You know, and we can talk about what that means in practical terms, but as a principle, it's really just being deliberate and purposeful on a daily basis with our precious time. It's a great point. Um, you know, time or money, and and it's just this. Uh, I find the later I get in my career, the uh, the higher the premium I place on time. It's just it's something that I just can't get enough of because there's so many things to do, so many things that are interesting to me. Um, and I, you know, money is money, but time is a precious commodity. Um, and and so I'm I'm fascinated by that. But but let me ask you one other thing. You know, we've been going yeah, in, uh, sure. you know, back and forth between kind of inside the, the organization and outside, what you do as an individual in your life and how you set and plan and hold your principles, and then what you can do when you're in an organization. To what degree is this wave and interest in corporate purpose 
filling a gap for executives who otherwise were stuck in this world of simply profiting at all costs. And that makes showing up on Monday morning perhaps, you know, a little softer than what might be the case. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of data out there around, uh, you know, low levels of engagement. So you might show up, yeah. but you're really engaged in your job. And the hope and, and expectation is that once you give people reason to come to work to do things that are doing good to do well, uh, and, and then all of a sudden you create a new paradigm, and therefore engagement levels will go up. In some ways, that's a bit manipulative, and people are concerned about that. Frankly, you should just get on with, you know, doing the right thing, and then hopefully people will get on board and understand it as being authentic. But, but it's, just another, it's just another expression of the point that I previously made about focusing on, ex on intrinsic benefits of the job as opposed to extrinsic benefits. And so that's just another data point in that, in that discussion. Brilliant, brilliant. Todd, tell us, where can we find your book? Uh, where is it available? Um, and is there a website uh, people can learn more about you? Sure. The book is on all major e-commerce uh, platforms on a worldwide basis. Uh, for people who wanna understand more about Enrich and the philosophy to make life delicious, you can visit my personal website, enrich101.com. Excellent. Todd, as always, it's a pleasure. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, and uh, we wish you every success. Thank you, Steve. It was great to speak with you again. That was my conversation with Todd Miller, erstwhile entertainment executive and now author of a new book, Enrich, a user's guide on how to, and I quote, create wealth in time, money, and meaning. Todd calls out what many feel, that time is slipping, eaten away to a large degree by work. If you're someone who sees work-life balance as an unattainable luxury, then Todd says you're blinded and denying yourself happiness and a higher sense of purpose. Taking it back is the trick. Research shows that corporate executives are rapidly approaching burnout as the COVID crisis drags on, making it harder than ever to stay engaged and feel committed. For some, the gig economy is looking increasingly attractive. Leaving a corporate job means less income stability, but it offers in exchange more time and autonomy. For working parents, the advantages are obvious. For seasoned executives, it means the possibility, voluntarily or not, of an early retirement. Todd's book is inspired by his own experience. He says he learned early on to place his corporate responsibilities in line with his personal needs. Setting boundaries is one area where many gung-ho executives fail miserably. Saying yes to every challenge, project, or promotion laid before you may feel like the right thing to do, but inevitably it comes with some source of sacrifice. And more often than not, it means surrendering personal time that might be otherwise spent with family, staying fit, pursuing other interests, or even, God forbid, focusing on your own life goals and priorities. All such activities take time, and there it is, the heart of the problem. The more senior you are, typically, the more demanding your organization. You justify this by saying, people are depending on me, who else is going to do it? Or I'll have time to focus on personal matters later. What's later? The situation becomes all the more acute for seasoned executives who, entering their 50s, should be contemplating a life post-corporate, but rarely make time to do so. 
I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. The friends and former colleagues that start to drift off to the golf course or plan retirement in some distant resort community only to discover that they have no idea what to do with themselves beyond the corporation. Todd's advice is clear. Start thinking and planning. Build meaning back into your life. First, because if you do so, you'll be happier, and that renewed feeling will inevitably feed its way back through the organization to positively infect others. And second, because the job will end, and when it does, you want to be ready with a life plan that elevates your thinking, keeps you moving, and drives you towards the things that all of us as humans are most in need of, a sense of purpose. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Inside Asia. If you like what you hear, please share our program with friends and colleagues. We're entering our third season with over 170 episodes produced and available to you free of charge. Each week, we plan to introduce a new topic or trend that shows how innovation and corporate purpose can align and profitably. Prefer reading to listening? Then subscribe to the Inside Asia newsletter. Visit us at www.insideasiaadvisors.com. Leave your name and email address and start receiving weekly updates that highlight key points from the discussion, provide links to additional insights and articles, and reference earlier podcasts or related subjects. Want to start a discussion? Leave us a message on any of our LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram pages. As always, we thank you for listening. Thank you.